Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here. Thanks for being here today. And if you're watching us over at the Beacon, thanks for being here as well. And also those who are watching us online, glad to have you with us. So I want to start today by telling you a little story that I'm not necessarily proud of, but it did happen. It's one of those things in life you just kind of look back on. Um, So when I turned 16, I got my driver's license, which I know is really weird anymore that people actually get their driver's licenses when they're 16, but I did. It was the day of my birthday. I got my driver's license. My first vehicle was my dad's old work truck. That's what it was. It was rusty and all those kinds of things. And um, I soon wrecked it. So that was helpful because then I got a different car. Um, my dad found this car for me. And, uh, and so I ended, he ended up buying it. I bought it off of him. But uh, it was a Chevelle. Here's a picture of a Chevelle. You see that car? Chevelle SS. Like 1972. Oh, mine, that wasn't mine. Mine didn't look like that. Mine looked more like this. This is a 1975 Chevelle Malibu. It was baby blue like that. I think it had rims like that. Had the white soft top. Now, mine had a lot of rust on it. And within the first three months of owning the car, my mom wrecked the front end. Had a little fender bender. So the light actually pointed down. One of the lights did that, you know? So that was my car. I had that that car. Um, But the thing was, it had a monster engine in it. I mean, it had an engine like the 72 Chevelle. It had a a Chevy 350 Turbo Fire V8. It was a fast, fast car. Like I could pull up to a stop sign and then just floor it, and I would just sit there and burn rubber. I mean, it was a really fast car. Now, I wasn't the only one of my friends who had a fast car, though. My one friend, Davey Tom, had a, 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 it was a Ford Torino, Grand Torino, and I think it had like a 400cc engine in it. It was really fast. And then my other friend, Jerry Weinberg, had, I don't remember what he had. It was either a Camaro or a Firebird or something like that. And so none of us knew, we all kind of bragged whose car was faster, but we didn't know whose car was faster. And then there was this one day, and the three of us were in Three Rivers, Michigan, and uh, I, I went to high school in Centerville, Michigan, but we were in Three Rivers because they were doing, for the upcoming football season, my senior year, doing a photo shoot of the captains or whatever. So after that photo shoot, we said, hey, let's see whose car is faster. Let's race back to Centerville, which is about five miles or something like that. So we took off through town, passing each other, doing all this stuff, made it into the, the it was on M86, and we're flying down the road, and then we came up to Centerville. We were getting into town. Wrangler's gas station was, was going to be the, like the finish line. And we're coming up into town. And this is what it looked like. This was an aerial view of the street. So we're coming from left to right. We're going up like that. And Jerry is in first place. Davey, or, uh, yeah, Davey Tom is in second. And then I'm in last coming into that corner. And so Davey Tom does this crazy thing. And he kind of goes around Jerry in the center of the road coming up to that curve. And I said, well, I don't want to lose. So I floored it, went out into the outside lane, coming up into a blind corner, going about 75 miles an hour around that corner. And 
praise God, there wasn't any oncoming traffic. This is Central Michigan. There's only one stoplight in it, you know. But I flew around that corner, won the race, came into first place, and had bragging rights. Incredibly stupid thing to do, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. <laughs> yes, I definitely heard that. <laughs> Speed limit's probably 25, something like that. So two thoughts from that story, other than I'm glad to be alive today. One was, what was my dad thinking? Why would he pick out a car that had that kind of engine and give it to a teenage boy? That was not a smart thing, right? That was just a bad call. But here's the second thought. Even though it was stupid, that 17-year-old version of me knew how to take risks. I'm not like that today. I'm alive. That's part of it. <laughs> but I tend to play things a little safer. Um, but I, I really want a little bit more of what that 17-year-old version of me had. You know, sometimes taking risks can be stupid, like, you know, a car race. But there are times in life where it's super important to be willing to take a risk. If you're single, you know, asking a girl out on a date or asking a boy out on a date, that's, that's risky, right? You might get rejected. But, but it's important if you're ever going to find a spouse, right, to be willing to take that risk. Or how about if you're you know, at your place of work, there's a promotion that's come out and you're thinking about putting your name in the hat, but you don't know if you're qualified for it. It's risky. It's risky to do that. Or what's another, another thing that's pretty risky anymore is having kids. You know, like, oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to keep the kids. You know, I, I mean, actually have a, a safe, healthy pregnancy. Or, or even better, how about adoption? That's risky. That's really risky. Now, in 2020, we've been faced with a whole new set of risks, right? This has been a crazy, crazy year. Do we post? Should we even think about posting on Facebook that black lives matter or that all lives matter? Because you know you're going to get some feedback on that, right? Or how about posting or talking about which presidential candidate you're going to vote for? That's a risk, isn't it? Or this is something that parents never thought they would be asking. Should I send my kids to school? <laughs> Right? A year ago. A year ago, we're like, we can't wait till summer vacation is over and they can go back to school. A year later, we're like, I don't know. Should I send them back to school or not? It's a risk. It's a risk. And then here's a question that I've wrestled with, and I know many of us have wrestled with as well. Is it safe to go back to church? In March... You know, the whole world was shut down and, and Lighthouse was shut down for four weeks or for eight weeks. And then the government let us open a, the church back up. So we did. We were open for four weeks and then we had an outbreak of the coronavirus here at the church and we had to shut down again. And I'll tell you what, that shook me because the church is supposed to be a place that's safe to come to 
And, you know, if we would open the church back up, there's a risk that somebody might get it. Somebody might come in, not know that they're contagious and spread it to somebody else. And during that time, man, I was shook. I, I was getting a phone call just about every day of somebody else who had the coronavirus. And we even had people in the hospital. It was a scary time. And honestly, I was afraid. I was afraid of opening the church back up again. Um, I remember during that time, as I'm washing my hands, I think every five minutes, um, my wife just looks over at me and she says, what happened to you? What happened to you? Life situations can really mess us up and make us afraid. So I took some time and I prayed about it. And I said, Lord, what do you want us to do? And he said, it's pretty clear. He says, I want you to open up the church and do everything you can to keep the doors open. Reminded me of the scripture, Hebrews 10, 24, that says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the day more as you see the day approaching, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So that's what we did. We've opened up the church again, and we're doing everything we can to keep the doors open because we need the church family. We need the encouragement to spur one another on. My daughter Anna lives in California and, and uh, they haven't been allowed to open up their church yet. And so she's been out of a church for whatever, how many months that is, seven months or so. And just this past week, the, the church launched home groups. And so she met for the first time in a home group and she said, Dad, I didn't know how much I needed it until I was there. And we need each other. We need the church. But to answer the question, is it safe to come to church? Your definition of safe means that you won't get sick and you won't get injured. I, I would say the answer to that is no. It's not safe to come to church right now. And maybe never will be again. It's still a risk to come to church every Sunday. And not just because of the virus. Churches around the world are training up teams to defend themselves in case of an attack. As you guys know, in recent years, it's made the news, over a dozen churches in the U.S. alone have been attacked by lone wolf shooters. found this recent article titled, U.S. Bishops Call for More Security Funding After Wave of Church Attacks. And the article said, according to FBI statistics, at least 1,244 hate crimes were committed in 2018 against members of the various denominations and congregations represented. It's a risk to come to church anymore. The teachings of Jesus are becoming increasingly unpopular. And it is becoming a risk to associate with Christ's teachings. Now, in, in Jesus' own words, he says it to expect it and that it will actually get a little bit worse. In John 15, he says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And then in chapter 16, it says, 
All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. Coming to church in 2020 and beyond, it's going to be a risky thing to do. Following Jesus and following his teachings is going to be risky. Now, since the shutdown back in March, many churches have not even been able to meet yet. I actually know some churches that have shut down permanently uh, as a result. But the churches that have begun to meet together again, they're only getting about half of the attendance that they had before the shutdown. And this is all because of the possibility of catching a virus. It made me ask myself this question this summer. How is the church going to survive when real persecution comes in the upcoming years? If we're afraid to go to church because we might catch a virus, what about when it's illegal to go to church? Or that you will be arrested and jailed and possibly killed because of your faith. Now, you know, this is what the church in China is facing today. So as Christ followers, we have to be willing to take risks. We have to be a people who are willing to take risks for our faith, for our faith. John Piper said, if we walk away from risk to keep ourselves safe, we will waste our lives. Gina Davis said, if you risk nothing, then you risk everything. And then John Wimber, who is the, uh, the father of the Vineyard Movement, said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Having faith is risky. So being a follower of Jesus would and should require us to take risks. Now, the question is, how, how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, the good news is that we're not alone. There are many uh, pillars of the faith who took risks, and it's all throughout Scripture. And I'm excited to embark upon a new series today called Risk Takers, Finding Our Courage in an Unpredictable World. And it's a, it's a message series about some of those pillars of the faith and how they took risks. I mean, some of them risked their very life for God and for the gospel. And my hope is that as we study their stories, as we learn from them, that that courage will rub off on us. Because I don't know about you, but when the time of testing comes, I do not want to cower away. I do not want to, man, I do not want to hide away at that time. I want to be willing, if it, if it took it, I want to be willing to risk my very life to follow Jesus and to follow what I believe. So our first risk taker that we're going to study is Gideon. And we're going to be in Judges chapter 6. You can turn there in your Bibles if you would like. I love the story of Gideon because Gideon is a just a normal guy 
like me or you. And um, God uses him to do incredible things simply because he's willing to take a risk for God. So let me set this up. We're going to be in, again, Judges chapter 6, uh, verse 11. At this time, the Israelites have fallen away from God. Again, if you read through Judges or Kings, you'll see that the Israelites, they follow God and then they fall away. They follow God and they fall away. And when they fall away, God tends to send in uh, other countries to attack them and take them over. And, and in this case, at this time, God has allowed the Midianites to oppress the Israelites. And the Midianites were just mean people. They were just mean. And so what, what happened is the Israelites would go out and they'd farm and they'd, they'd uh, plow and, and plant all their crops. And right before their crops were ready to be harvested, they would come through. They would bring all their people and they would just take everything from the Israelites. Can you imagine how frustrating that would be to tend the, to the crops all year and then just have them all just taken in a moment? But that's what would happen. The scripture actually says that they were like swarms of locusts and would ravage the land. Now, during that time, the Israelites, finally, they cry out to God and God sends them help. He hears them. So this is Judges chapter 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord, of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah and that belonged to Joash the Abizurite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders and our ancestors that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. So from there, Gideon eventually trusts God and leads the Israelites into a decisive victory over the Midianites. But Gideon had to take some big risks. So I think we can learn from this story today, from this section of scripture. And I want to give us three ways that we can learn to take risks for God. And you can fill these in on your handouts, but first let me pray. God, we come to you right now and we thank you. Um, we thank you for your word that is true, that challenges us, encourages us, God, and even prepares us for what is to come. But Lord, I pray today that we would learn from this story, that you would uh, speak through me, and that you would open up our ears to hear from you, God, and that you would just challenge us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so you can... Fill us this in on your handout if you would like. First of all, we can risk big for God when we, number one, believe we are who God says we are. The scripture says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Just a few verses later, Gideon replies, pardon me, my Lord, 
But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. There was a difference between what the angel saw in Gideon and what Gideon saw in himself, right? Gideon didn't feel like a mighty warrior. He didn't act like a mighty warrior. See, he was threshing wheat in a wine press. Let me talk about that for a second. I looked up what it means to thresh wheat by hand. And most of the time what you do is you, you go up on a hill where there's wind you lay out a tarp, you take the wheat and you beat it, and then you throw it up in the air and it just separates the wheat from the chaff. And you let the, the wind just kind of blow the chaff aside. That's how you normally do it. But in this case, Gideon is in a wine press. Here's a picture of uh, an actual wine press, an ancient one in Israel. And imagine this with walls around it and a roof, and, and you would just step on the grapes and all of the, the wine would or the juice would go into the center there, and you would just keep it clean, but it's usually in a building somewhere. Not an ideal place to thresh wheat. So Gideon is in this wine press because he's scared. He doesn't want the Midianites to come and steal his wheat. So he's hiding out. And then the angel shows up, finds him hiding out, and calls him mighty warrior. The King James Version translates that as man of valor. The word is uh, in the Hebrew, kail. It means a force, an army, virtue, valor, strength. I'm sure Gideon didn't feel like a mighty warrior, right? I mean, at that point, I mean, he was a farmer. I mean, we know that he was a farmer. He might have never even trained for battle, had maybe had never even been in a battle before, but yet the angel calls him a mighty warrior. God sees who we really are, not who we think we are. God knows how he made us. God knows what he made us for. He doesn't make mistakes. And I love this. He calls out the best in us long before we deserve it. Gideon would one day be called a mighty warrior. It was true. God was calling him a mighty warrior now, before he deserved it. We are who God says we are, not who we think we are, not what our circumstances, circumstances have told us that we are. You can write this down. How we feel doesn't change who God made us to be. I want to take a moment, if you guys would, and just do a little exercise. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Over in the beacon, same thing. Close your eyes. They're online. And I want you to think about some of the adjectives that people have used to describe you. Think about how you would maybe even describe yourself. I was, as I was doing this exercise this week, I remember some of the adjectives that people have called me. They've called me lazy. They've called me hard-hearted mean, selfish, uncaring. Maybe you've been called some of those things or maybe you see yourself as that. But now, I want you to kind of push those aside, quiet your mind. And I'm just going to ask God 
to give you a word of how he really describes you. So God, I pray that you would speak to us right now. How do you see us, Lord? You saw a mighty warrior in Gideon. And I know that you see some of these things in us as well. So God, how do you describe us? From Scripture, there are some ways that God describes us. He says, you are chosen. He says, you are strong. You are loved. You are precious. You are no longer an orphan. You're part of a family. You can open your eyes. If, if God gave you some adjectives, I encourage you to write them down. Remember those. But guys, we need to stop listening to our feelings and our circumstances and, and start listening to what God says about us. God knows us. He made us. He has a plan for us. And we can be confident in that. Whatever God has called us to, you can be sure that he will carry us through it. So we can risk big for God when we believe we are who God says we are. Number two, we can risk big for God when we use the little that we have. Judges 6.14 says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? God told Gideon to use the strength that he had. Go and I will deliver you from the Midianites. Now, back in that time, a country's strength was many times defined by the number of soldiers in their army. And at this point, Midian musters his army. He musters his soldiers and he and he has 32,000 men that show up. Unfortunately, the Midianites had 100,000 men. So three to one odds at this point, God said, go get the strength that you have. And then God says to Gideon, ah, there's too many. So tell everyone who's kind of afraid to, to go home, 20, what was it? 22,000 men left that day. He's down to 10,000 warriors. Now it's 10 to 1 odds. And God says, still too many. So go down to a creek, have them drink from this, this creek. And, and those that drink one way go over here. And those that drink that way go over there. 300 men went over here. 9,000, was it? 700 men went over here. And you know what Gideon's thinking? I hope he wants me to take the 9,700, right? And he says, send them home. These 300 men, this is your army. We're going to win a battle <laughs> with these 300 men. It's crazy. So then Gideon took these 300 men. He gave them 300 trumpets, 300 um, pots, and 300 torches. And he went out and surrounded the Midianite army in the middle of the night. And they had their torches inside their pots. 
And all at once, they yelled out, uh, they blew their trumpets, they yelled out for, uh, for the Lord and for Gideon, and they crashed their pots and held up their torches. That's what they did. And they had surrounded the Midianite army. And God had put a spirit of fear in the Midianites already. And so they thought they were surrounded by a huge army. And uh, they ended up killing one another. And Gideon wins an incredible battle with 300 men and no swords. <laughs> but he went with the strength that he had. Gideon didn't have much, but with God, that was all that he needed. We have heard the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. It, it's really not scriptural, just so you know. <laughs> That's not in there anywhere. But all throughout scripture, there are stories of God saying, hey, bring what you have. Bring what you have and add me to the equation and we will win. If you think of uh, the story where Jesus feeds the 5,000, he says to the, to the disciples, hey, I want you to feed all these people. They're hungry. 5,000 men, probably another 5,000 women and children. And the disciples said, man, all we have is five loaves of barley bread and two fishes. That's all we have. And Jesus said, that's enough. And he takes those five loaves. They weren't even theirs. It was some little kids. You know, they took them and he multiplied them and fed everyone there. God always takes what we have to offer and makes it enough. Always does. So here's a question for us to consider today. If you're facing a challenging situation, if you need God to come through and save the day, what is the little I have to offer God in my situation? What is the little that I have to offer? It might be our time. It might be our money. It might be our personality. It might be our skills, our gifts. But just know, whatever it is, when you add that to God, it's enough. It's enough. So we can risk big for God when we use the little we have. And then the last point, I'll go through this pretty quick. We can risk big for God when we know that God is with us. When we know that God is with us. Judges 6.16, the Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. If God wasn't with Midian, he wouldn't have won, right? I mean, even with 32,000 soldiers, he probably wouldn't have won, let alone with 300. If God wasn't with Lighthouse, especially through this past year, we wouldn't be here today. And the reality, we cannot do anything significant in this world without God. But the reverse is also true. With God, we can do anything significant. Hey, let me hear an amen on that. With God, we can do anything significant. We have to believe that. If God calls us to it, we can do anything. Anything. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is asking you to take a risk for him, 
and he's with you, we can do it. This is your last fill-in. Me plus God is greater than everything. Not really. God is greater than everything, but we can add ourselves into that, right? When we have God on our side, we can do anything. Anything. So we can risk big for God when we know that God is with us. I'm going to turn the beacon over to Zach. He's going to lead in ministry time. And I'm going to ask Matt to come up here and lead us here in the auditorium. Thank you. So I think ministry time today, I think God spelled out something pretty clear to me uh, this morning. And it's going to involve an exercise. Clinton did an exercise. We're going to do another one. Um, I just got to think how I want to do this. Yeah, so just stay where you are. Close your eyes again. What I want you to do is think about the biggest risk that you've taken in your lives. I have no idea what that is for you, but you, you, I think God will reveal that to you. The biggest risk that you took here on earth. This is going to sound kind of teacher-like, but once you get that, Will you stand up? So with the ministry time today is, and if you didn't get one, I think God will reveal something to you today. So keep pressing in to this today. But that thing that's on your mind, that most risky thing, God is asking you, are you willing to risk that much? Because this is the most risky thing that we've done in our lives here on earth. Are you, God is asking you, are you willing to risk that much for me? for him. And so that's what we're going to pray this morning as we are moving into this series of, of taking risks, but we're moving into this series of taking risks for God. And so I'm going to pray that right now. God, I just ask that you move in this place and that you give us that courage to take a risk for you, to take that same feeling that we have right now inside of us because of the most risky thing we've ever done. But God, we want to turn that and we want to risk for you. 
We thank you for the message that you gave us today through Clint with Gideon. And God, you called him mighty warrior. And so I pray that now in this room, and I pray that for anybody listening to this message, God, that that you come down and you tell them that they are a mighty warrior. And I think now, God, about, about the story of Gideon and how one person took that risk and it made a change for thousands of people. And God, I just pray that, that the multiple people, there's more than one person in this room, there's more than one person praying this prayer this morning and how you can just amplify that. Make us mighty warriors this morning, God. Make us risk takers, but not risk takers for this world, God. We want to be risk takers for you. We want to be risk takers for the church. We want to be risk takers in our community, in our, in our nation, God, and even in our world. I'm getting a, the term guiding light. So God, we trust that you are the guiding light. You are going to guide us in these risks because it is going to be, bring glory and honor to your name. We thank you for making us making us ordinary us ordinary Gideons. We thank you for making us mighty warriors. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofvineyard.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.